When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Paying for college shouldn't be the hardest part of higher education. Hi, it's Rena Ninen, co-host of the Ask Lisa podcast. I recently spoke with U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona about FAFSA, the free application for student aid. Did you know you can apply for financial aid today and you'll get a response within one to three days? Check out our show notes to the link for the full interview on our Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe for the latest videos from Lisa and me. That's the Ask Lisa podcast YouTube channel. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 39, how do I get my kids to stop fighting? I like that despite the pandemic, there are some things that will continue. I don't, I can't say I like it, but sibling rivalries, issues with brothers and sisters and sisters and sisters. Oh my gosh, it never ends. I know. I know. It is very common in households that kids go at it with each other. So we need help, <laughs> especially the summer's coming and more time, more time together. And we got this letter. It says, Dear Lisa, needless to say, I love your podcast, and I've already learned so much about my kids and myself. Thank you. It's all been very helpful. I'm a single mom of two pre-teenage boys, 10 and 11, and a full-time self-employed photographer. They don't fight that much, but I find myself clueless on what to do when they do. They're together almost 24-7, and although they have their own rooms, it's getting electric. They have different personalities, and being so young, they don't understand each other and don't care about trying. They always feel it's unfair. I feel that it could escalate as they get older. Do you have any recommendations on how to manage sibling relationships in today's situation? Thank you. Man, I am hearing this so much that in the pandemic, especially, sibs have really gotten on each other's nerves a lot. Why do they fight so much? There's a lot of reasons. There's... One is just boredom. They're bored. And a lot of kids have been very bored in the pandemic. Uh, You've got two kids, right? I've got two kids. Like, don't you sometimes just like watch them start something just for the heck of it? It's over nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it drives me bonkers. Like, why are you guys doing this? And at what point, Lisa, should I step in? Well, actually, that's a really important question, right? If they're bored, right? If they're just doing it because they're bored... I think we want to be careful about how we react to that because one of the rules that we've talked about plenty of times in the podcast is 
the kids like parenthood, you know, they like us to pay attention. They like us to tune into what's going on. And so if they're bored and then they start something with their sibling and then we get into the mix, now it's gotten a lot more interesting, right? And it may not be altogether pleasant, but it's certainly not as boring as it was. So if it's boredom fighting, right? I really do think there's such a thing as boredom fighting. I've even joked with my own daughters. I'm like, you guys are doing like fun fighting. Like this is your idea of a good time, right? Which, and it is annoying. It is annoying. I will say to them, this is annoying. Go do it somewhere else. And and it's my way of saying, I, I don't want to watch this. This is not entertaining to me. I'm also not going to pour my energy into it. So in that situation, if you just think like a kid was starting something just out of, you know, looking for something to do, and you think that no one's going to get hurt, and you think that they can basically, you know, hold their own if they need to, I think in that moment, and of course, there's a million contexts in a million situations, so there's no one right rule. I think in that moment, actually saying like, take it elsewhere or knock it off, like, I don't want to watch this is a pretty decent option. And do you find that works when you say that? Because in, in some instances, I feel like they go to the next room and we'll strangle each other and then I have to intervene again, but just in another room. Exactly. Well, okay, so then the question is like, when do you have to step in? And like certainly strangulation would be <laughs> um, absolutely a good time to step in. And I do think that's that's the dilemma as a parent of like, what am I supposed to do right now? Yeah. And so if you have the option of being like, knock it off or take it elsewhere, I would encourage that just out of the do not encourage it with your own attention Mm -hmm. quality. Mm -hmm. But if you feel like this could get ugly or it's gotten ugly and kids are laying hands on each other, you know, that's, I think, a real bright line that should exist in families. Like you can't physical. You can't get physical. You can't go after each other with your hands or legs or whatever. If that happens, I think a parent needs to intervene. I think also that should be a very clearly established rule that, you know, once somebody lays hands on somebody else, like all bets are off, I'm going to be involved and you're not going to like how this goes. Um, If a kid is really, um, if it doesn't feel like a kid can hold their own, like if you feel like one of your kids is bullying the other Mm -hmm. kid, where, you know, bullying for us is where the power differential isn't even, where you know, one kid has a lot of power and the other kid is unable to defend themselves, well, then you should step in. But these are all pretty, you know, these are good guidelines. I think a lot of it is going to just depend on what's happening in the moment and where people are at. And whether it was a fun fight where, you know, a kid wanted to start it, you know, just for the heck of it, and you say, you guys, that's annoying, and then they're on to the next thing. Often they're on to the next thing. And the thing that's amazing to me often is, then they're suddenly being really sweet with each oh, other. I know. You know that that's the thing that cracks me up about watching, at least my kids, is how interwoven yeah. the fighting and the playing together is. So tell me about the research. Why do they do it? I mean, I get I get what you're saying about boredom fighting, but like, why do they come at each other like this? One thing we have to think about that explains a lot of it is they irritate each other, and they irritate each other because they're roommates. You know how, like, you had an irritating roommate in college sometimes or whatever? Like, living with somebody is irritating. And, you know, sometimes when kids fight, it's because one kid was using the bathroom and the other kid busted in without knocking. Like, that's annoying. So the busting in without knocking, like, that doesn't look like, you know, fighting, but it causes fighting. And... Part of what happens is they are not as gracious as we might be with a roommate. Mm -hmm. And they're not as gracious as we might be with a roommate because they're siblings. Mm -hmm. 
And so part of it is just the combination of the realities of living with someone who doesn't always extend full courtesy, right? And the realities of that someone being a sibling where you can have a pretty unfiltered reaction Mm -hmm. to their annoyances. Mm -hmm. You told us about when you should step in and intervene. When should a parent step back? Can I tell you that's even hard? It's hard to step back. It just drives me nuts not not intervening. Yeah, I think parents should step back more than they think they should. I think, you know, as a parent, we, our default can be like, you guys knock it off or, you know, okay, what happened? Tell me what happened. And then you're, you know, legislating the whole thing. You're, you're trying to figure it all out. What we really do believe most of the time, if you can do it, and again, so many variables involved, but if you can do it, most of the time, if you feel like the kids have an even chance of being able to defend themselves or being able to sort it out, Most of the time, it is probably best for everyone if the parent says, look, you guys are having a hard time with each other. You are going at it. I'm going to trust you to work this out. And and what it does is it puts the pressure on them to try to resolve the conflict. If we're jumping in every time, then the work is divided, right? They start the fight. We figure out how to finish and resolve the fight. We don't really want to be in that business. We really want them to be in the business of if they're going to start a fight, they have to figure out how to get themselves through and out of it and how to resolve a conflict in a decent way. But so often, it's really not a fair fight. You've got an older sibling with a younger sibling. I feel like the younger sibling really just wants to be loved by the older sibling. The older sibling finds the younger sibling annoying. What do you do when it's not a fair fight? That does happen. And and actually, it's One of the more common questions I get around teenagers about, you know, what happens when you have a teenager who, you know, let's consider maybe pre-pandemic conditions, had a long day at school and walks in the house and maybe the younger kid is like so excited to see them. You know, maybe there's a significant age gap. So that child is maybe, you know, two or three or four years younger, adores the teenager, admires the teenager, gets excited when the teenager walks in the door and the teenager just lets it rip, you know, Mm -hmm. just, you know, is already annoyed and has held it together all day. And then the younger sibling, you know, asks if they want to play or, you know, does something that is, you know, an invitation of some kind. And the teenager is nasty, right? Mm -hmm. Like can be really, really nasty. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways a mom described it to me is that, you know, the teenager does something that cuts deep. And I thought that was such a beautiful description. And so then the teenager has thrown their weight around, hurt a younger sib who really, really did not have it coming. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, whatever the overture was, it was a well-meaning overture from the side of the sibling. And then the parent who watches this is in a terrible position because they're usually really mad Mm -hmm. at the teenager Mm -hmm. for just, you know, letting fly on the little kid. And the little kid is really hurt, Mm -hmm. like did not have it coming and is really hurt. Um, Okay, so in that case, I do think, you know, it's not a fair fight, you probably should step in. So what would it look like to do that? Okay, so in the heat of the moment, I think what it would look like is basically to say the teenager, take yourself out of this, we'll talk later, to actually stop them Mm. and give them a chance and in fact, ask them to remove themselves. Then having bought that time, take care of the little kid, right? Just say to the little kid, you didn't have that coming. I am really sorry. 
you know, I know she didn't mean it. I know he didn't mean it. You know, kiddo, it's okay. Right? Whatever comfort the little one needs to not take it as personally. Yeah. Not take it as personally. Then, I mean, this is, I'm articulating the ideal scenario, but this is, I think, the way we want to try to, you know, aspire towards. Go find the teenager and appeal to the side of them that we know exists. Which is? Which is that they don't feel good about this. Like, they just teed off on a little kid, right? They just, you know, picked a fight with someone who was not their own size. And we have to assume that there's a part of them that really is not okay with that. And let's start there because our impulse, right, in the moment is to calm down hard. You'd be like, what was that? Yeah. Like, she loves you. Yeah. Like, why would you treat her that way? Yeah. And and I'm not saying we can never do that. But my first pass, if you have your wits about you, would be to say to the teenager, are you okay? Like, that was not like you. Yeah. And to give them the benefit of the doubt that their impulses got way out ahead of them. They did not mean to speak to their sibling that way. And that they are already upset. They don't need you to make them feel bad. They already feel bad. And to see if we can align with them around fixing it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to getting all mad at them and then telling them to go fix it, which, of course, any self-respecting teenager would be defensive and bitter Mm -hmm. in those moments Mm -hmm. if we go at it that way. Mm. It's so tiring, though, regulating the battle between your children, right? Does it ever go away on its own? Like, how long do we have to keep meddling and and tinkering with this relationship? It is exhausting, right? It is exhausting. And then I would say in the pandemic, it's become so much more exhausting because we're on top of each other, right? We're totally on top of each other. And our kids are on top of each other. So when we look at the trajectory, and we have studied this a lot, there's a lot, a lot of fighting with little kids. In fact, one study, this cracks me up so much, looking at very young children, um, found that there were 56 skirmishes an hour between oh, small children God. in the same home, <laughs> right? God. Okay, so, but the nice thing is when they're little, usually it doesn't get totally out of hand. Okay, then you get into middle childhood, right? You know, like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and you see a lot of fighting. You see kids really do kind of go at it quite a bit. The general trajectory is that it eases as they move into adolescence, that especially if they're near the same age, Mm -hmm. right, if you don't have a teenager who's going after a little kid, Mm -hmm. that it eases as they get older. And a lot of that has to do with them having more space, having more connections outside the home, spending less time together just because they are off doing their own things. I mean, the reality of being a teenager under non-pandemic conditions is that you're off and out and about quite a bit. You've got your own friends. You've got your own life that's sort of starting to develop. And so what it does is it it literally creates space and and the literal creation of that space between siblings does actually cool this off hmm. under most conditions. Hmm. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table for settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. Just think of all that cash back you can get on those groceries. NerdWallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today, so the future you will thank you for it. With NerdWallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. NerdWallet lets you compare smart cash back credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. 
So what could future you do with more cash back? A getaway with the kids? A spa day for yourself? Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cash back credit card. And don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. On Our Minds is a podcast about the teenage experience, made by teens for teens. There's a lot on our minds, and talking about it helps. On Our Minds Season 4 is produced by PBS NewsHour Student Reporting Labs in collaboration with KUOW's Radioactive Youth Media. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. What do I do about the tone? Because when they start getting under my skin, I I cannot control myself. I'm losing my mind. I, I can't talk in a calm voice. They're like, mom, mom, you're raising your voice. You're talking really loud. Mm. Of course I'm talking loud. You're driving me nuts. <laughs> I can't get anything done. And you keep doing it every 10 minutes. This is driving me nuts. Yeah. What can parents do to help tone it down? Okay, well, there's a few things we can do. Um, one is, interestingly, this is not going to come as a surprise. When we look at the research... Parents who get it go at it with each other in an unpleasant way mm. have kids who fight mm. more. Right? That's so that's the first thing. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, makes sense, right? And a lot of it is we're teaching kids how to do conflict. And if we are going to engage in unhealthy forms of conflict, if we're going to be nasty, if we're going to be passive aggressive, if we're going to, you know, play the part of a victim ourselves in the relationships that they can observe – well, then they're learning from us. And that then translates into how they fight with each other and fighting more with each other. So we do see data showing that when parents handle their conflicts well and use, you know, are assertive and straightforward and try to keep the temperature down, that lowers sibling fighting overall, does not eliminate sibling fighting, but it doesn't contribute to more than is typical. So there's that. I think we can try to start with, you know, hey, you guys knock it off or take it elsewhere or, you know, I'm going to come talk to you in a minute or separate. We can try all of those things. I do think, and I've said this before, I think every once in a while it's okay to get mad, right, that, that it's important for kids to know when they are acting in a way that no one will tolerate mm -hmm. in your house, out of your house. I do like to give kids warning. Before getting mad, mm -hmm. I do like to say, you know what? I've asked you three times. If I ask you again, it's not going to be pretty. I think that's fair. Um, but there's something else I learned, which really seems improbable. But, Rena, it actually works. Um, and I learned it when I was in graduate school. So I went to graduate school at the University of Michigan. And I did my first couple of years. It was a long program. It's a you know doctoral program to take a long time. 
And I got through the first couple of years, and I'd actually checked all of the boxes I needed to complete and ended up with a summer that I could do with what I wanted. And I worked on an inpatient unit for teenage boys, or like young teenage boys. We were taking care of 12-year-old boys. There were eight of them at a time on the unit. And these were guys who were really having such a hard time that they could not be seen outpatient, that they needed to be cared for in the hospital. And um, I was their daytime mommy. I was with them eight hours a day, just, you know, managing their time, getting them from, you know, program to program, making sure they were going to their therapy appointments, things like that. And, Rena, like, there was a lot of fighting, right? You can imagine. Oh, my God, 12 year old boys. Are you kidding me? Of course. 12 year old boys, eight of them, right? A lot of them with, you know, all of them with psychiatric diagnoses. These were kids who'd been through a lot. These were kids who had actually often witnessed a lot of really difficult things, witnessed adults, you know, engaging poorly with one another. And um, so I get to the unit and I'm getting oriented and they're teaching me the system by which we regulate kids' behaviors, the point system for managing kids' behaviors. And we docked points for all sorts of things. And one of the things that we docked points for was provoking, that a kid could get in trouble for provoking another kid. Mm. And I remember like when they were teaching me this, I was thinking, how do you bust provoking? Totally. Like, how can you even tell when a kid's provoking, right? Can you really tell? And I have to tell you, it's really obvious when a kid is provoking another mm-hmm. kid, right? You know, mm-hmm. that the kids on the unit very quickly figured out how to push the other kids' buttons in the same way kids in our homes very quickly figure out how to push their siblings' buttons. And on the unit, whenever a kid was feeling bored or irritated or just, you know, I think had a stirred up inside feeling that they wanted to turn into a stirred up outside event, mm-hmm. they'd go push another kid's buttons. <laughs> and so I uh, I was like, this is amazing. So very quickly, I started to get really good at busting provoking. I'd be like, dude, you're provoking, you know, take five minutes in your room. And the guys were used to it. They, you know, occasionally they'd bristle at it. But it is incredible, Rena, how much quieter things get. It does not eliminate it. Mm. How much quieter things get if you make provoking a punishable offense in your But home. how do you do that? Like, what do you say? So what do you say to your kids? What do you say to your kids is you are not to provoke your sibling or your siblings. Like, provoking is a punishable offense. And then you say to them, both of them, all of them, you say, here's the deal. If your sibling provokes you, come to me and I will deal with it. Hmm. If you react to the provocation, you're kind of on your own. And this takes time to establish in a home. Kids have to sort of figure it out and play with it. But what does start to work, and this is, you know, you're probably going to, the, the height of this is going to probably be younger kids, early, you know, like maybe tweens. You know, usually by adolescence, they've stopped doing the kind of provocative stuff as much. Um, but... The height of it is really where you want a kid where, you know, one kid starts with another and either that child says to their sibling, you're provoking me, like I'm going to go get a parent, Mm -hmm. or the child says to the sibling, like walks away and comes to the parent and says like, you know, he's provoking me. Mm. Or you're watching it, right? Sometimes you see it. Like you don't even have to have a kid report it to you. Like you're sitting at dinner and you see your kid do something that they know is going to push the other kid's buttons. And then you can say, you know what, that's provoking. Go take two minutes in your room. Come back when you can act like a, you know, a civilized human in the family. 
And you say that works by, you know, having them identify what provoking is and when they do it, send them to their room and yeah. and, and it, it'll get them to knock it off. Really? It takes it down a few notches. Okay. Nothing solves this. And I, you can go to their room. I just am a big believer in the like, I need you to leave and come back when you can be better. Mm. I need you to believe and come back after you've got yourself pulled together. So part of me feels like I don't care where you go. And part of me feels like I don't care how long you're gone. What I want you to establish is this self-regulatory capacity of understanding that when you act like a turkey, no one wants to be in your presence. And when you pull yourself together, you're totally ready to come back. And we want to be with you, right? That that's part of what we're establishing. And so, you know, sometimes kids come back and they just start provoking again. And then you say, okay, clearly you are not ready to be back. Mm -hmm. Take yourself out again. Come back when you're ready. But the, the aim over time, right? And you know, siblings fight enough that you get a lot of practice with this as a parent, and they get a lot of practice with getting busted for provoking. The aim over time is actually that a kid stops themselves before they provoke. That since provoking has now become problematic for them, right, has stopped being the gratification of getting their sibling to lose their mind, has instead been replaced with the parent being like, all right, you got to get out of here for a minute. That they'll over time, hopefully, provoke at a lower rate. Doesn't mean provoking goes away. But what you're trying to do is just take down the overall volume of signal, you know, siblings antagonizing each other. Mm. So what would your big takeaway be, Lisa? In, in, you know, drives us nuts when they fight, drives us nuts. If there's one thing we can keep in mind in those moments, what should it be? Use your attention wisely. Hmm. Use your attention wisely. Um, if you think that they can sort it out, tell them to go sort it out. If you think they're doing it just because they're bored, tell them to take it elsewhere. If they're that bored, you don't want to watch it. If you think one kid has started something that does not need to continue, say to them, you know what, please leave. Come back when you're ready. But be very cautious about assigning yourself the role of the person who gets them out of the fights they get in, themselves into. Mm -hmm. That, like, why wouldn't they let you do that work? Right. Make it their problem if they're fighting as much as you absolutely can, not your problem. Oh, well, I'm going to try these tactics. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> all the help I can get. But that's also interesting about but what you say about you know provoking. I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. Report back. If it works on an inpatient unit of 12-year-old boys, <laughs> it can work in your home. I promise. I promise. But well said. Well said. Boy, we are so excited to tell everyone about an upcoming guest who actually was just on The Ellen Show and is going to be on our show. Lisa, tell them about it. I know. I'm so excited. So our next podcast guest is Emmanuel Acho. And he is formerly of the National Football League. Um, he played for several teams, including here in Cleveland, where I live. And he then has really made a name for himself with this fantastic YouTube series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, where he takes on topics of race and does it with such respect and such um, safety for people to have very hard conversations. And he has then since written a book of that name and just, just recently published a book called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Boy about how we talk with kids about race. And Rena, you know, obviously this is a topic we have addressed at several points along the way with the podcast, but, you know, I think you and I both felt like we need a pro. Yes. This is such an important topic. We need a pro. And so we're bringing in this fantastic pro. And what we want our listeners to do is send us your questions for Emmanuel. 
So send them to asklisa at drlisademore.com. What questions do you have for Mr. Acho about how to talk with your kids about race? I, I love it. And, you know, he's just such a light. The book is so funny. It's such a serious topic, but it is a great, easy read. Uh, I read it by the pool recently and just could not put it down. He has a great story. So please send us your questions, whatever you want to ask. It's a great opportunity. All right. And Rena, I think you've got a four children everywhere for us today. I do. I do. I don't know if you guys have been following closely what's happening in India and how the country is completely unraveled because of COVID. Hospital beds are are hard to find. Oxygen tanks are even harder. So we're going to highlight giveindia.org. They are sort of a bridge between individuals like us and NGOs. They help take money from individuals to then push towards the right NGOs to help fund. And it's all transparent. You'll get an email saying where your money's going to and uh, a receipt back as well for your taxes. And they're very eager to help uh, what is a, a catastrophe that is beyond just government help that really needs individual help. And I also want to plug the South Asian Journalists Association, uh, saja.org, if you want to learn more about what's happening in South Asia and particularly in India. Uh, check out their website because they're just a great resource. And and one thing you've always said that for children everywhere, that giving back, especially with a heart of gratitude, makes a difference. And the fact that we're living in a country where if you want a vaccine, you can get a vaccine is such a privilege. And it just made me realize that as we're watching the coverage in India over the past few weeks. Yeah, no, it's been painful. And I think of you and then... Do you have family who are there? We do. We do. In fact, my father's uh, college roommate's son, 42, died of COVID in the hospital. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Rena. Story after story like that. So um, if you you have a little bit of money and you want to give, consider going to www.giveindia.org. So, Lisa, what do you have for us for Parenting to Go? For Parenting to Go today, I want us to remember that one of the tools in our parenting tool belt can be having a sense of humor. And I am thinking about a time, one time when I was on the van with these 12-year-old boys from the inpatient unit, one kid started something that was just unbelievably dumb with another kid. And it was just like, it was truly boredom. And I, I was sort of in a good spot that day or had like a lot of energy. And so I looked at the kid and then I turned around and looked at the guy driving the van who was a friend of mine. And I jokingly started with him something as dumb as what that kid has just done. I don't even remember what it was, but I was just like, I basically was playing with the kid. I was just being like, let me show you what you just did. And the guy who was driving the van knew me well, played along right away. And it completely diffused the moment. The kids thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. And I did not have to come down on him. I did not have to bust him for provoking. In that moment, I was able, I had the energy to use humor to appeal to the better side of this kid, give him a little mirror about what he had just done, and we moved past it. So what I would say as a parent, you know, we get into tight spots all the time as parents. If you have a good, gentle, playful, non-sarcastic sense of humor, and you're feeling a bit in a jam, see if you can make it funny. See if you can make it sweet. See if you can make it tender and kind of amusing. And that can be a pretty short path out of a rough moment and into a better place. It's the opposite of what I would think to do in the moment because they drive you nuts. They drive you nuts. They do. They do. It's a good tactic. I'm going to try it. It's a good tactic. So I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. 
Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.